Fast Money starts right now. Live from the Nasdaq market site overlooking New York City's Times Square, I'm Melissa Lee. Our traders on the desk are Pete Najarian, Tim Seymour, Steve Grasso, and Guy Adami. Check out shares at Disney. That stock is higher. Volatile, though. After a big beat, right now it is up 1%. The conference call is going on. We'll hear from Bob Iger later this hour. And we've got the man who wrote the book on Disney, literally. Jim Stewart of the New York Times will be here to give us instant reaction to the report. But we start off with a trade war whiplash. The market attempting to make up some ground today on deal hopes, but falling short at the close. And take a look at some of the trade war casualties across the board this week. U.S. Steel, the biggest loser, down 9%. Micron getting hit. China tech giant Alibaba under pressure, along with names like Wynn and Deer. So as deal talks hang in the balance, could this be your best chance to buy these stocks, or is there more pain ahead? Can I ask a quick question? Oh, sorry. This, yes, what is what the What was question? the name of that song? I have no idea war. and you war. know that. Oh, okay, war. What's the name of the band who, who created that song? I, I don't know. War. war. Okay, let's keep going. Thanks. What is it good for? Why do you do that nothing. to me? <laughs> Can we resume the show? We're one minute in and we haven't gotten anywhere. Okay, Sorry. we're starting with U.S. Steel. Yes. Traded or faded guy? Well, you know, it's funny. A couple weeks ago, there was the NFL draft. And You're Pete, right. And Petey and I were in the green room and we're talking. And he said, what do you have? I said, I have U.S. Steel. He said, I said, Petey, what do you have? He said, I have John Deere. And we decided that we were going to make a trade. We were going to orchestrate a trade. So with the first pick of Wednesday night's traded or faded, mm. Guy Adami is trading U.S. Steel to Peter Najarian. Go, Pete. So you don't want to answer. I'm going to take Pete's it. Pete's going to answer. Okay, I'll take it, and I'm going to yeah. trade it. There the it is. The reason I'm going to trade it is this stock was $45 back in February of 2018. Here it is trading at $15. When it's been at these levels in the past, hmm. I've loved what we see, so we are Wait. trading. He's You're trading, trading it. it. Trading You're it. Trading, trading it. it. That, yes. means, yes. that means green Goodbye one. It. Thank there you. Anglewood Cliffs. I uh, traded it to answer. I traded it to Pedro. Right. Does he that was, mean that you were taking it? You don't have conviction on this name. If anything, I've no, heard I you say that. No, I do have you, conviction on it, but Petey seemed to have more. Defensive. But I'll say this again. So you're trading it as well. I, and I'll say this: if you go back, this this stock last year into March was going from 35 to 45. All the fundamentals lined up, and then President Trump, correctly or incorrectly, that's not a political show, said, you know what, tariffs, I'm a tariff man, and here we go. Stock went from basically $45 to current levels in a straight line, and a fundamental story that's all deteriorated has not deteriorated to that extent. So I'm in the Pete Nigerian camp. I trade U.S. Steel. Trade. Let it be known that from this moment forward, there shall not be allowed any trades of assignments oh. in traded or faded. Oh. Yeah, I don't that like was the first that, and last trade yeah, but went well, that was it's actually a different game. I, I, it's actually a different I, game. No, it's not a double game. trade. It was yeah. a trade. U.S. Steel, Tim. Yes, no, US I, I'm going to trade it too at the risk of being boring. And, and I'm long the stock, so it's been a painful trade. But a uh, guy talked about you have a, you have a <laughs> dynamic where uh, trade took the stock down. Um, think about the Bush trade tariffs, which actually took steel companies down about 55%. These have actually exceeded that. Hot roll coil, almost near all-time high prices. Are you following the developments with Vale, where essentially they are being legally bound to uh, hold back on supply, which is also pushing up iron ore prices, which is also pushing up steel prices. So look, um, at a 3% economy uh, with industrial companies you know, not falling apart, you want to own steel companies here and you want to wait through this because it's going to be sloppy. A lot, of this, a lot of this recent weakness was by UBS. They cut their price target from 22 to 10. Right. That's where you see a lot of this on top of the trade impact in the headwinds. I would say trade the stock. Mm-hmm. Wow. Not the worst is over, but I think you're due for a bounce here. Trade or, the you said trade the, the stock. Board. So you're selling it. Oh, I'm sorry. No. Trade it. 
Trade it. Trade it or fade it. Come on, Tim. Trade it. Trade it. Trade it. He's buying it. Fade it. Is bad. Yeah. Next stock is Deer. It is down 7% so far this week. Pete Najarian, trade it or fade it. Well, I traded this to Guy Adani. Didn't you just hear what we did at the top of the show? It turns into a mayhem. I banned trade, so Pete shall answer. All right. So at this stage of the game, when I look at when I look at Deer, actually, look at where it just came from. Look at what the stock has done over the last period of call it the net last year. I don't think it's fallen back enough. And if this trade war continues to be there, I think you've got to fade this stock because I think there's plenty of downside from here. I agree. I agree with him. And this was going to be we, he traded to right. me. So I, I actually have all these trades. No, I trade it. Fade it. Fade it. Fade it. Fade it. Deteriorating fundamentals. Major double top. Last quarter was not particularly good. I think you're going to see analysts cut numbers. So I don't. I think I agree with Pete. I think this trades 150 before it trades much significantly. You know what I love here. about about technicals. You just said major double top. You. I I look at this chart and I see it's actually supportive around these levels. So I think it's due for a bounce. I would trade wow. it. Wow. I'm glad we have one because I'm a fader here, there too. I, I think if you think about Deer's multiple at 17 times, it's not terribly cheap to itself. I think it doesn't – this is not an indictment of the global economy. And, yes, you can like steel and not like uh, Deer in the same sentence. So I am fading. John Deere. All right. Micron down 8%. Grasso, trade it or fade it? So I, I think it's worth acknowledging. I'm going to start off with trade it. But Ooh. I'm looking at this. We're fast money traders. We have, a, we have a, a very slim time horizon. So a lot of this is just overreactions. So I could feel that a lot of these are fades. But for this week, for the game, not the tra- double trade game, but for the game, I think that these are all buys, right? So trade this one. They they really are correlated to DRAM pricing. I don't I don't know if the worst is over for DRAM, but the chart sure as heck doesn't look like it can go much further lower. I don't know if the worst is over either, but uh-huh. because of that, that's why I think I'd actually fade this one. And the reason I'd fade it is this is a stock that let's not forget at the start of the year was 28 bucks. Here it is running up towards $40 a share. It's had a great run, and if there's anything that shows any weakness to the downside, I think there might be pressure on names like Micron and other chips. We already heard today from Intel. Yeah. So there's a lot going on right now in the chip space. I think, unfortunately, right now I'd have to disagree with you. I'm going to fade this one. But you're still long Intel. I'm long Intel, yes. And you don't, care, you don't care about the slides that I'm they put a little up bit the concer- investor presentation. I am absolutely concerned about that, but that happened at the end of the day, and I couldn't really get <laughs> to it. No, what not. was that? I came in with <laughs> That's I'm in the fade camp, and I've been but, but, Micron, yeah. And, and we talked about it when they reported. I mean, if you go back and listen to what they said, they didn't paint a particularly rosy picture. The stock traded up on the back of it, which surprised us all on the desk. It traded, I think, from 42.5 to 44. I was surprised, but now I think it's doing what it should be doing. This is in the wake of Texas Instruments. This is in the wake of Intel, and I think chips go lower. So I'm in the faded camp. I think Micron can trade down to 35 bucks easily. Yeah, I'm a fader on this one. I, I just, you know, to me, I think the chips have some cyclical headwinds here, but Micron's had headwinds even without trade wars. Why would I jump in now? I, just because it sold off more? No, I fade right. it. Good game. Um, the next one is, <laughs> if you play according to the rules, it's a good game. <laughs> Alibaba, Tim. Yeah, here's how you do it, guy. You don't trade it. You just say, you know what, trade it. And, in fact, Alibaba is a name that I think has been the ultimate victim of a trade war when, in fact, this isn't really a global trade story. It's an Asian trade story. Uh, And I think if you look at the stock before a week and a half ago, it was starting to break out on the the concept that actually these guys have actually slowed down some of their spending. It trades at a multiple that is, you know, puts it at a peg ratio of around one Um, of the mega cap tech names out there. I think in the absence of a trade war, um, I think this is a name you want to own. And it's got revenue growth. I actually own calls in this one. I do not own the stock, but I own calls because I expect over the next couple of weeks, I think we see a recovery out of Baba because of what Tim's saying. This is very reliant on China itself. 
Yes, they've gone through a lot of headaches so far, and I think that's already been priced in. I think there's upside from here. Well, you just have to ask yourself, is Friday going to be worse or better than it is today? And I think it's going to be better. So, really? So even better, if you better, get, in, wait, wait, better, how? better in what way? I, I think that we've already priced in. That we priced in a lot of positive news going to the trade war or trade resolution. And now we priced in a heck of a lot of negativity. What do you think we priced in so far? Uh, we've priced in a hike to 25% yeah, They had to go to a hike from 10% to 25% we, on tariffs. Not, ex- new, not, we, new, ta- not no new, new tariffs. Okay. No new tariffs. No new tariffs. So that's your so, baseline. So that's my baseline on it. I think that you could get a little bit of headwinds. But for me, this week, I think that all of these stocks are traded based on that premise. All right, let's get to our, our bonus round. We, oh, do we deserve like, a bonus like round? A, like, like you the really Jones bonus round. Bonus you've done round. something well, and I'm not so sure. We always sure. talk about Especially those guys. guys. I was going to get this one. Right. Win, guy. They report some more. This is a tough one, Melissa Lee, because they have report earnings. and I'm trade put, to Pete? Huh? No, no I know. Trade allowed. it. Trade it. Trade it. <laughs> and we've been pretty and we've been pretty steadfast on this. Now I was surprised that it traded below $100 without question, but we've said for quite some time the self is overdone, valuations are reasonable. It seems like things are straightening out on the gaming side in China. And so I would say in the earnings tomorrow, although this terrifies me, the fact that we've gone from 150 to 139, I think that's a sell-off in earnings. I say trade it. I think the earnings are actually a catalyst upside for the stock. I, I think if you think about what's been pushing win around, it's been their own idiosyncratic stuff, um, and it's certainly been trade war. This is a Macau play for sure. And if you look at the chart of actually win, even with LVS and some of the other casinos, they're more or less in lockstep. This has got a little bit more torque to it. By the way, it trades probably two and a half turns to Las Vegas Sands. So on a relative value play, uh, I'd rather own win. I would trade this one. Okay. I thought we played the game collectively the best we've ever done. <laughs> Have you seen more energy? No, that's, not, that's not one for Thursday opinion. night. We got, we got Mel very fired up. She, got, she actually got angry with us. for the. I, I mean, did. I may I, still I be angry just real. a little bit. Anyway, our next guest says, if there, if there is no trade deal with China, investors are in store for another wild ride. Let's bring in Savita Supermanian, head of U.S. Equity Strategy at Bank of America Merrill Lynch. Welcome back, Savita. Thanks. Great to be here. So no trade deal come Friday means... What exactly? That the tariffs go up, the, the existing tariffs go up, there's no new expansion of tariffs, and there's no deal? Right. Well, I mean, just a continued impasse, I think, would be a negative for the market. And, um, I mean, it's interesting, because if you look at what's actually priced into the market, so we looked at the multiples of the most ex- exposed segments of the S&P 500 since last February, when Trump really started talking about this, and every segment of the market that would be impacted by tariffs has seen pretty significant multiple compression, except for one area, which I think is my favorite short, is small caps. Small Mm. caps, everyone's hiding out in small caps because they're domestic, they're not going to see any friction from global, um, uh, global trade issues, but the truth is smaller cap companies are even more tethered to global growth than large multinationals. So I think that that's the one area where we haven't seen a reaction. Now, in the event of no deal, um, in the event of, of, uh, of more tariffs in, put into place, we think that the market could suffer a correction around the realms of 10%. Um, the, the risk is if we see you know, the European economy, the U.S. economy thrown into more of a recessionary territory, that 10% could turn into 20% very easily. And if you look at recessions, the peak to trough earnings decline is on average about a 20% decline. So I think that's the number that we want to tether our expectations to. So no deal, a decline of 10%. And on Friday, what are you expecting? 
So I think we either get a deal quickly or we see a protracted period of brinkmanship. And I think that is what we've sort of lived through for the last year and a half. We kind of forgot about trade after the fourth quarter and everything was okay. Um, you know, I think that what this spells is continued multiple overhang. So the PE of the S&P hasn't really contracted that much since the beginning of last year. We could see another turn on, on multiples. Um, and then I also think that, you know, the, the real risk for the economy is that corporations are probably stalling any plans, right? I mean, if you look at CapEx, it's, it's actually turned pretty negative over the last six months. And part of that might be because we just don't know what's going to happen. So as the longer this takes, I think the worse it is from an economic standpoint. Savita, we, we love your work, so I'm reading your notes. And one of your notes that stood out to me is that the Fed could hike in the face of better growth and that the market will actually like it. Um, oh, yeah. And the sense I got from the Fed last week was the market didn't like a Fed that wasn't giving them a rate That's cut. not cutting rates, yeah. So how, how yeah. do you reconcile that? Which and, and actually a rate cut might be the most terrifying thing <laughs> because yeah, it's telling so. us that the Things economy are pretty bad. isn't healing. Exactly. So, um, yeah, if you listen to our economists, they think that the Fed's next move is a rate hike, not a cut. And that's in the face of a better second half. Um, you know, our house view is that we do see reconciliation on trade because, you know, if you think about it, um, China exports declined pretty significantly last year. They're feeling some pain. And, uh, you know, the U.S. doesn't want to, we don't want to have some kind of like, um, you know, stalemate where, where both sides are, are hurt. So I think from a game theory perspective, some resolution and a friendlier resolution than what's priced into the market is to be expected. Um, and in that scenario, we think that the economy could actually improve in the second half and we could actually see a rate hike. But I agree. I think a rate cut is not what we should want as equity investors. Yeah. I don't know if that's the, the right. So, Savita, I agree with you on that we shouldn't want that. But the market wants that. So forget <laughs> everything else. I, you know, we, we've been wrong on that. The market wants the rate cut. By the market. Do you think yes. Trump is playing this where he says, if I don't get the trade deal done, I get the rate cut. That's my backstop. So the markets throw a tantrum, then the Fed. You don't reacts. get your 10%. It's an interesting. Uh, it's an interesting way to uh, get, get what, what you want. want. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, maybe never say never. Um, you know, I think though that what the real driver of the economy is less about tweets and it's more about corporations and generating earnings. And I think the one encouraging signal that I would point everyone to is that this quarter. Remember, we were all calling for an earnings recession this mm -hmm. quarter. Earnings are actually growing at 2% year over year. So things are still okay. I don't think we're at, you know, those, those sort of those levels at which we really want to panic. Um, but, but, you know, if, if that's what it takes, if we do need to see a 10% correction in order for policymakers to start panicking, you know, maybe that's how the year plays out. But that earnings growth took place in an environment where everybody believed there would be a deal. And now we are in a place where a no-deal situation, a protracted yeah. negotiation is on the table. So yeah. could we could see that completely evaporate. erased, yeah. evaporate in the second no, it's quarter? No, it's a good question. I mean, I think from an earnings perspective, part of the reason that earnings were low, were a lower hurdle this quarter is that some analysts had actually started penciling in tariffs into 2019 earnings that haven't even been decided yet. So, you know, there, there was upside risk for first quarter. Look, I think you're right. I think that this is sort of a do or die situation. And China, Europe, U.S., these are the three players that are going to be most affected, three global leaders. Um, 
the earnings front, I think we're, we're expecting positive growth. We're actually, actually expecting a bit of an acceleration next year from 2% or, sorry, 3% to 7% next year. But in the event of a long, drawn out, you know, ugly battle or full on trade war where neither side agrees and it's, you know, tariffs everywhere, in those situations, we would definitely revise down our earnings expectations. And you're right, part of why things have been okay is that we haven't been panicking yet. Savita, thank you. Good to see you. Thank Savita you. Savita Great to be here. Bank of America, Merrill Lynch. Guy. I love everything she said. The most interesting of the many things was yes. the fact, I agree, I think a Fed rate cut would be, I hate using the word, but we use it from time, <laughs> deleterious. I knew you were going to say that word. Because I thought my fingers, because you know it's haiku, <laughs> to the market. So I agree. I think if the Fed were to raise rates, maybe the knee jerk is lower, but then people say, you know what, maybe we're on more stable ground than we thought. I think that actually would be bullish for the market. Uh, getting into some game theory for, for Friday, I, I just think that the Chinese have been very interesting in the last 24 hours in not talking about having a gun to their head, having their vice premier head to the U.S., having some sense that maybe they're willing to make some concessions because I think any deal that they do, barring something that we clearly have not heard about, is a great deal for China. They are not going to let up on one belt, one road. Made in China 2025. If you listen to U.S. tech companies, they're telling you they're running into Chinese interference and I think they're getting what they want. Is the Russell a short? Well, uh, obviously she thinks so. Right. I, I'm not so positive so. about that. I, I understand some of the, you know, She's everything is intertwined. I, I, I was referencing. So, so I was just but telling you. but I, I do think it's interesting. That's an interesting concept because everybody always wants to find out where do you hide. I'm not into the whole where do you hide. I want fundamentals. If I got fundamentals on my side, I feel much better about my selection. All right, I'll ask Grasso, where do you hide? Uh, I, I think you got to hide in. Look at look at a name like like McDonald's. Look at a name like Match. These these companies are not affected right now with trade. Look at the stock charts. These are still constructive charts. Coming up, Disney and Roku both reporting earnings moments ago. We'll hear what the CEOs of these two companies at the forefront of the streaming rush are telling Wall Street. Plus, tech is soaring this year, the best performing sector of the bunch. But one top technician is warning this is peak tech. He'll explain why. And later, one of our traders calling it the greatest comeback of all time. GE up 60% off its lows. But can the former Dow darling keep the momentum going? We've got all the details. We're live from Times Square in New York City. Much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. GE soaring 40% so far this year, but CEO Larry Culp said at the company's annual shareholders meeting today that after what he called a quote-unquote good start, things could slow down. Cash flow, going to be negative this year. What we said in March is probably going to be break even to uh, possibly uh, a negative $2 billion. It's still tough for me to say that out loud, but that is our reality. Culp also said a clawback on compensation for former CEO Jeff Immelt could be in order if serious misconduct is found, but the bar for halting these payments was pretty high. The stock momentarily jumped higher on those comments today. So does this GE rally still have legs? Tim, you're a shareholder. I'm a shareholder. I, I, I think this is the ultimate balance sheet cleanup story, and free cash flow is what I care most about, even though I will talk about some of the parts. So when you look at the free cash flow from the first quarter, people thought this could be minus you know, $4.5 billion. It was significantly better than that. Um, and, and I actually believe that Larry Culp is, is turning this ship, as we like to say, a lot faster than people thought that they could. Um, the fact that they've had some asset divestitures that have been ahead of the game are great, but I think it's more about the power business starting to stop being a drag. Mm -hmm. Do you think the turnaround's already priced in? 
No, can't be priced in. I, I think that I think that people are giving him the benefit of the doubt. He's he's an outsider, so he doesn't come along with all those legacy headwinds that all the old guys that spent their career at GE did. And he's done a number of things already. And you heard him talk. He's believable. And for him, he's just telling you like it is at this point. Two had an amazing call. Stock traded down 80%. He pushed it now. The stock bounced 80% off the lows. I think there's a tremendous amount of upside. I'm still a shareholder. I will continue to be a shareholder. 20 in 2020. And Tusa continues to press his bets, right? I mean, he, most yeah. recently, and he, I think he dropped it down to a $5 price target from a $6 price target, something like that. But in any case, he's not a believer. I'm not necessarily a believer either because of the fact cash flow is still a concern to me, and debt load is an, an incredible concern for me as well. So. Do I think that Larry Culp's doing a great job? I think he is. Is a lot of what he's doing sort of somewhat already priced in? I think so. I think some of that is definitely priced in, a big he, chunk he of that. Said, he said flat to $2 billion ca- uh, cash burn. Yes. There's, you could drive a truck. That's a pretty that. nice but, but that's uh, got, He's got but, a huge but, upside to that. Where would that, you're an option guy, where does that go if he comes in even slightly lower? Oh, my goodness. I mean, there's a, there is a reason why we see so many puts constantly being bought in this name. And people have been right more often than wrong. So potentially this could be very interesting. And I think we could, I don't think we test the lows, but I think $8 is an area they could get. Quick, do we see five before 20? Mm. Five or 20? Oh. I think seven before 20. I mean, five is a okay. stretch, but I, I do think, listen, I think the 45% that it's up this year is reflected in the fact that things have gotten less bad, mm-hmm. but it doesn't mean that things aren't still bad. Okay. Like that? Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> for more on General Electric and what is next for the stock, head on over to tradingnation.cnbc.com. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC. First in business worldwide. Here's what else is coming up on Fast. Well, the great thing about traveling is you really learn to appreciate coming home, huh? That's right. But the travel stocks are getting crushed, and there's a troubling trend that could mean more pain ahead for the group. Plus, tech stocks are on the fast track this year. You can do it! Just don't look down! But one top technician says we could be speeding right into peak tech. He'll explain why he's so worried. Much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Disney shares are higher after reporting earnings. The conference call is underway right now. Julia Borson joins us now with the details. Hi, Julia. Melissa, Disney CEO Bob Iger giving some insight into how the media giant plans to leverage Marvel's box office success to drive adoption of its new streaming subscription business, Disney+. Plus. Iger announcing that Avengers Endgame will stream exclusively on Disney+, Plus just a month after its launch. Take a listen. While the initial response to our DTC efforts has been gratifying, we're not taking anything for granted, and we continue to leverage our creative engines across our company to ensure we deliver a strong value proposition to consumers. We're expanding into the DTC arena with tremendous excitement and optimism. As they invest in content for this new streaming business, Iger stressing the importance of their unusual strategy of putting Marvel's movie stars in shows on Disney+, also saying they're in the process of pulling back licensed content from the likes of Netflix. Now, as for the Parks Division, which is what really drove the upside surprise in the top and bottom line, Iger's saying they're looking forward to the opening of Star Wars Galaxy Edge and that this quarter's numbers reflect pricing increases. We have been uh, very strategic at our approach to pricing uh, over the last 
a number of years, and it's really paying off. The results this quarter certainly are uh, evidence of that. And what we're trying to do basically is two things, is to price according to demand, and in managing demand, try to basically spread out attendance so that we can preserve or improve the guest experience. Iger talking a little bit about Disney's two-thirds ownership of Hulu, saying they're very bullish on the service and confirming that there has been dialogue with NBC Universal, CNBC's parent company, of course, about them possibly divesting their one-third stake. But he did say they're talking about having an ongoing relationship about keeping that NBC Universal programming at Hulu. Melissa? All right, Julia, thank you. Julia Borston joining us from Los Angeles. Guy, you know, you would think that the setup for the stock would have been a tricky one going into earnings, uh, given the massive... 100%. Run in the past Huge month. run. I mean, think about where the stock was when they announced that there was going to be legalized gambling. It was a $99 stock. That was the lifeline for ESPN. Got it up 17%. And now here we are at 136 My problem with Disney isn't Disney. I like Disney. Hall of Presidents is my favorite ride, yes. followed closely by Mr. Toad's Wild oh, Ride. It's not a ride. Yes, it is. But it's I'll say ride. this. It's, it's a bit. problem I have with Disney is valuation. 21 times next year's number is just too expensive, in my opinion. This quarter was fine, but it wasn't outstanding i think you got to sell the stock here but you're okay with netflix's valuation i mean different it, company it, different company yeah, but, but i mean at some point you have to see some convergence i realize netflix and disney are in different places right now but here's how it go at the valuation dynamic disney's disney deserves a higher multiple not because it's the 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 cream of the crop in its sector but because you want to be valuing on an ev to subscribers and that's you know if you start to look at 2021 which they talked about which at least the market's rewarded you have to give them at least a blended multiple uh, and and never i just happens, think though it never well, happens i i think somewhere in here people are starting to assess whether netflix is too high or Disney is too low. And right now it's Disney's too I, low. I like parks in there. $25 billion in parks. That's yeah. huge. But when you look at lower royalties, lower licensing, and spending a boatload of money to pay off in some year, uh-huh. I think that it was a positioning pop that you saw here. And I think you'll see Disney settle back in. If it settles back see, in I below 120. you were talking about Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> right? When he, he practiced that, I thought that he was talking honestly. Right. Right? I'll he tell you what, impre- the same thing. what impresses me right now about Disney is the direct consumer growth just continues. And we, we talk about different parts always having to move, right? And the parks department, they've got pricing power right now. So you've got these four different businesses, and the direct consumer is something that they're absolutely focused on, right? If they're looking for growth. They've got growth there. So I think they're doing everything right to the valuation point. I don't disagree with you, but I think going forward, if they continue to grow their earnings the way they have, then I think they actually can grow into those earnings. I think they are a little bit, I think this run has been great, and I've been saying all for the last couple of weeks, 170 price target that I've seen a couple of people out there, that seems too high. That seems way too high for me in terms of where they are right now over the next year. No way. But I do think there's upside yet in Disney. All right. We need to bring in the man who wrote the book on Disney, I think. Did he write a book? Yeah, Yeah, literally. Let's bring in New York Times columnist (laughs) and CNBC contributor Jim Stewart. Jim, it's always great to have you with us. Thank you. Um, Nice to be here. Is Disney at this point show me? I mean, does it have to show its DTC product? Does it have to show that subscribers will come? Does it have to show that it could pull it off? Well, you know, obviously at some point it has to deliver, but that point, maybe some point in the future. I think what we're seeing here is a multiple expansion. It is a little bit of what you're saying about getting the halo of the Netflix phenomenon. I mean, Bob Iger, to my view, has done a brilliant job of changing the whole conversation from this being a legacy media company saddled with potential losses at ESPN to being a high-tech Netflix kind of company. And that, you know, Investor Day a couple weeks ago, 
talk about show me, they, that, you know, that dazzled people. They got a big run on the stock after that. I think at that point, a lot of people came, became believers in the direct-to-consumer thing. The earnings today, I mean, every surprise for me was positive. That uh, the cable networks were up, that they're stable, that ESPN is not collapsing. And the losses in direct-to-consumer were really modest. You know, they, they're, you know, they increased ESPN plus quite a bit. It's still only two million, it's not a huge number, but they're getting a nice cash cushion there. And then, you know, the park's doing very well, which is, you know, I think a reflect, reflection of consumer confidence. And then we know they've got the Avengers cash coming down the pipeline. So that didn't really show up in the movies yet, but that's, you know, a very positive thing coming along. They've got a, a lot of cash here to work with. Yeah. They're going to need a lot of cash, though. I they mean, are. in order to be in this arms race of content against the likes of a Netflix, it's got to be prepared to spend all that money. How do you sort of think through, especially for the Disney shareholder base currently, they're probably not used to those enormous tabs that Disney's going to have to spend in order to compete on content. Well, I think the big question is not just for Disney, but for everybody in here is, is the streaming model ever going to really deliver the kind of profits that the legacy businesses did? And I think the jury is out on that. I mean, I think the, the theory is it's kind of Amazon-like that someday you're going to get a world where there are very few players that dominate streaming and then they'll have pricing power and they can really start raising prices and you know, it'll all be you know, profit rolling in. But when is that day? I mean, Amazon is starting to make money, but it's been 20 or more years. Um, they're still trying to conquer the market. How long will this battle for the streaming market go on? I mean, I think Disney will be a survivor some, and someday will have some pricing power there, but it's going to be a long battle. So one of the concerns for Disney over the last couple of years is who is, what's the succession plan? Is Bob Iger now the succession plan for Bob? Does he have to stay now, given everything you just said? <laughs> well, it, you know, I, when I wrote my book, it was Eisner. You know, Eisner would pick a successor, and then the, you knew that the end was near. Um, I don't want to say that Bob Iger is repeating the pattern, but we have seen some very, you know, promising people come up, and, you know, Tom Staggs being the most recent example, and then suddenly they disappear. I'm sure he's, got some, he's grooming some people now. I, I do think at some point he wants to, to step, step aside when he gets over some of these big challenges. And, you know, he could go out now as a hero. I, I mean, a lot of people, including the Disney family, have been criticizing his pay. I will say, I think Bob Iger has earned that pay lately. I mean, look at the, the stock price. And a lot of that has been his ability to change the conversation and to inflate that multiple. And I, I, I give him a huge amount of credit for that. If I was Bob Iger, I don't want to stay forever. And I don't want to stay if things are going to, like, go bad. So, I mean, he could leave now as a hero. James, does Disney get too much credit for being the content machine? I mean, because, you know, if you look at and, and Tom Rogers, who's on our show a bunch of times and, and is a contributor and knows a lot about this story, too, pointed out that ABC and Disney Channel are in shambles. Um, they crank out a few good movies, but are they really making great content across the board? Well, I think, you know, they're not going to have a hit with every single thing. Um, they have been very strategic where they put their big investments. They have the franchise products have just been amazing. And again, I, I think Avengers, people say, oh, well, it's just these Marvel characters. But they have put these together in a uniquely creative way. That guy, Kevin Feige, he deserves every penny of whatever bonus he's getting. 
they have executed with their intellectual property, I think, at a consistently very, very high level. And it's given them the resources. I'd like to see them, frankly, take some more chances. Mm. You know, people say, oh, well, Dumbo wasn't so great. It's just, you know, a remake. But, That's what you said, um, guy, right? I loved it, though. Yeah. Michael Keaton's fantastic. Well, Sorry. I say good for them. You know, it's fine. <laughs> you know, you, I think it's great for Hollywood. These studios need to have some misses to have the great hit. Right. So it's unrealistic. It's like oil drilling. You're not going to hit a gusher with every single one. And they need to take some risks. I'd I'd actually like to see Disney, frankly, take a few more risks. They've got the money to do it. Jim, always great to see you. Thank you so much. Sure. James Stewart of the New York Times. Grasso. So the only direct streaming play that we have here is Netflix. It's up 36% year to date. So Disney's up 23%. It's had a, a, an unbelievable run. How do you play all of it? Roku, after the bell, up 7%, 8%. It will stand to benefit from all of these, but it's up 111%. So if you got to wait here, you almost got to miss the first 5% up higher from here to break through resistance before you put new money to work in Roku. All right, still ahead. Tech stocks taking on the chin amid trade war worries this week, and one technician says the group may have just reached its peak. He will tell us what part of tech could get hit the hardest. Plus, this retail stock has more than doubled in the last year, but it is sinking after hours. We'll tell you what it is and what is investors hitting the panic button. More Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Stocks getting rocked. The S&P 500 on track for its worst week of the year, down 2% amid escalating trade tensions. Let's get to Bob Bassani at the New York Stock Exchange. Hey, Bob. Hello, Melissa. You know, the markets have woken up to two facts. First, the odds of a tariff increase this Friday are, are much higher than the market expected. And secondly, stocks are dramatically overvalued if this happens. The market is still near historic highs because sentiment is positive around four factors. First, the, ped, the Fed pivot. Second, a trade deal getting done. Third, China's stimulus program, and that is creating the perception for the moment that China's economy is bottoming. And finally, a strong U.S. economy. No trade deal with higher tariffs will force investors, though, to lower global GDP estimates. It'll force them to lower global earnings growth and force them to lower the earnings multiple associated with higher growth. That's a problem. Lower global growth drops the value of all companies. So you don't need to have revenue exposure to China or have import products from China to get hurt in this game. A lower multiple is a big problem. The market will assign a higher multiple to the two things if the global growth and earnings situation is expanding, but it'll assign a lower multiple if growth and earnings are contracting. Up until a few days ago, the S&P was trading at a 17 and above multiple. That is well above the historic average of 15 to 16 on hopes the economy was stabilizing. If there's no trade deal and higher tariffs on a broad array of products, global growth will clearly be lower and the markets will assign a lower multiple. But how much still isn't clear? If the S&P gets assigned a more reasonable multiple, say 15 and a half, that's roughly the historic average, the S&P could very quickly drop to the 2600 range. And that is with no reductions in earnings estimates. It's a different game. Remember December when fears of a global meltdown dropped the S&P 500 multiple to 14 and a half? The S&P dropped all the way to 2350 because analysts were not only dropping the multiple, they were cutting earnings estimates at the same time. The bottom line is there is a lot more risk to the downside than there is to the upside 
right now. Back to you, Melissa. All right, Bob. Thanks. Bob Bassani at the NYSC. Tech getting hit hard by trade worries down 3% this week. It is one of the worst performing sectors. The sharp drop comes after a big run this year for the tech heavy hitters like Apple, Microsoft and Cisco. Our next guest says the group may have hit its peak. Let's go off the charts with Mark Newton of Newton Advisors. Mark, great to see you. What are you looking at? Thank you, Melissa. So I want to take a look at technology. It's this year's top performing sector up 24%. Yet in the last two weeks, we've lost over 2%. And so it's interesting when you look at things like the, uh, the equal-weighted technology ETF, this is by Invesco. I plot this over the S&P to get a feeling of how technology is moving as a group. You can see that just in the last week, we've broken this entire uptrend since December. So that's a little bit of a concern at this stage in the rally, suggesting that tech is starting to show signs of, of withering and that it's going really, to really be important to be a lot more selective in this sector. You see stocks like Google. This actually peaked right at the latter part of April. And uh, a couple things to note here. One is that you have the potential formation of things like head and shoulders formations. A little early, you'd have to get down under 980. But in general, you see signs of big stocks like Google starting to show increasing signs of peaking out. You move down under 1250 in the last couple weeks. That broke, and, and it's going to have a tough road, I think, getting back. The momentum pressure starting to definitely lead lower in key stocks like Alphabet, uh, Google. The third is that semiconductors, huge leading sector. What's this telling us? Similar to what's happened in technology, this has also shown evidence of peaking out. Uh, SMH getting down over the last couple days under these prior lows. This puts some definite pressure on semiconductors. My thinking is we're going to need to really get back up over this. It doesn't mean it can't happen, but near term the sector is under a tremendous amount of pressure. It means that potentially one might want to take a look at areas like financials, healthcare. Uh, definite rotation out of tech and after being up 24% and in literally four months uh, makes sense to consider you know, potentially shifting out of this sector. When you say financials, Mark, I'm just curious because it, it seems like they had some lift at the beginning of the year and then sort of petered out in terms of that, that momentum. So which subsectors of financials are you looking at there? Well, I, I continue to like really uh, a lot of the big banks. We saw breakouts in stocks like Bank of America and Citigroup just in the last couple of weeks. And of course, with yields having turned down, you know, there has been some downward pressure with the yield curve, and that has affected the group over the last week. Uh, but still, we've seen a decent amount of relative strength in this group, along with healthcare. It makes me think that really it's a sector to consider uh, in, in the weeks and the months ahead. So, you know, near term, look, S&P has been down three out of the last four days. My thinking is, you know, maximum downside for S&P should be right near 2775, 2800. That should be a chance to get in thinking that markets can push a little bit higher. But we need to see groups like technology participate. At least what these charts are showing us, that's not happening. We're seeing movement out of tech at 20 percent of the S&P. That could be a bigger deal. All right. Mark, thank you. Mark Newton. Thanks. Um, Pete, what do you think of this idea of, of peak technology? Yeah, it's interesting because we've seen this rotation throughout this whole thing, and, and particularly now all of a sudden over the last couple of days as people have gotten more and more concerned about the whole trade wars thing, obviously you're seeing a rotation out of a lot of technolo technology names. I think, quite honestly, we get an extension. If it's not anything that the market completely overreacts to, I think the technology names can still work. But with an overreaction, absolutely, we're going to see the tech names, I think, go, fall much faster than a lot of the other names right now because they're so tethered to the China market. You get, it, it, I'm sorry, go. Go ahead. Go. 
Um, I was going to comment on Bob, who's talking about the multiple of the S&P, which, uh, you know, to me, people keep talking about how stocks should be have a shrinking multiple. You have a contracting multiple in the Fed's hiking. We're not in a Fed cycle. In fact, equity multiples should be trading at 17, 18, 19 in in an environment where I think people are concerned about the global growth story. So uh, I would not be freaked out by an S&P that will do 170 and be at 17 times. You get peak tech, you get peak markets. Watch the 2858 level in the S&P cash. That's your 50-day. We haven't been below it since mid-January. If tech peters out, the market peters out. All right, check out this mystery stock as we head to break. This retail stock has more than doubled in the last year, but it is sinking right now. We will break it down. Plus, TripAdvisor turning into a travel nightmare for investors after the company's earnings report. One trader says it could spell trouble for another stock reporting this week. The details when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert on Etsy, sinking the after-hour session. Seema Modi's in the newsroom with more. Seema. Well, Melissa, growth of 40% in revenue wasn't enough to satisfy investors. Etsy shares are down in after-hours more than 6%. One concerning comment made by Etsy CFO Rachel Glaser, who said during the first quarter of 2019, we temporarily paused some of our marketing investments in order to closely test incrementality of our less mature channels and refine our attribution models. In the past, analysts have said that in order to continue to gain market share, Etsy needs to spend more money on marketing to get its products in front of more users. The timing is also notable. It comes as competition has ramped up, Amazon bringing on more vendors, Instagram attracting more shoppers with its in-app checkout. Shares of Etsy, despite today's losses, still up about 34% this year, Melissa. All right, Seema, thank you. Seema Modi back in the newsroom. Guy Adami. Yes, I, I, you have I, a sock I, puppet on Etsy, yeah, don't you? I, yeah. yeah, and I often shop on, at the Etsy. No, this you one, don't. <laughs> one right down the street no on the 6th Avenue. But, <laughs> but I'll say this. You know, the quarter was fine. I mean, if you look at it, it's not a disastrous quarter. I mean, user growth, active buyers are up, active sellers are up. It's all good. Revenue, not bad. Problem is valuation. And there hasn't been a problem yet. Nobody's cared. Apparently, they care now. I think they're running into competition. I think the market now cares about valuation. And I wouldn't be inclined to buy this dip. I think there's more room to the downside, despite the fact that it's lower in the aftermarket. Yeah, look, the stock's been on a heroic run. It's up, it's, you know, she talked about the recent move. It's up 125% over the years. The valuation's difficult. Um, but they are giving you 30, 30 to 33% top line growth. And the margins actually have been accretive. So um, I'm not jumping. I, this is not a stock that I. I would want to own here, but I, I understand where people are chasing growth and, and multiple indiscriminate, and here you go. But does that say something about where we are in this market? Yes. yes. Chasing growth. There used, to be, there used to be a moat around this one, though, that everyone said it was individual and Amazon couldn't compete to it, and I guess that's coming to an end. Well, well it's all about competition, well, yeah. and this is, that's the problem. I think people are looking at this now, and they're saying, okay, we've allowed Etsy to get to this level. They are growing at a great rate, but Let's start looking at the valuation. When they start looking at that, I think they get concerned, especially in the backdrop of the market that we're in right now. I think that adds to why we're seeing some of that selling today. All right, coming up, talk about a bad trip. Travel stocks getting hit today on the hmm. back of TripAdvisor earnings. One trader just bet the pain could continue. More Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Take a look at TripAdvisor getting crushed for its worst day since November 2017 after a big earnings miss. The company is saying it sees non-hotel revenue growth slowing in the future. The move taking rivals booking holdings and Expedia down along with it. And options traders are expecting more pain when one of those stocks reports tomorrow. Mike Coe's in San Francisco with the action. Mike. Hi there. So booking holdings has moved about 7% off earnings over the last eight quarters on average, and that includes a decline of about 11% when they reported 
last quarter. The options market's implying a slightly smaller move of about 6% when they report tomorrow, but the flow was fairly bearish. One of the trades we noted was a purchase of the 16-16-35 put spread. Somebody bought 200 of those and ultimately over 400 of them traded for just under $5.80. The buyer of that put spread is going to break even down 5% and makes their highest profits down 7%. So it looks like they would get about a 3 to 1 payoff if that 7% average move was to the downside. And I think this makes a decent way to make a bearish bet here because, of course, the valuation on booking holdings is trading right now near historical lows if you take a look over the past decade or so. All right. Thanks for that, Mike. Mike Cohen in San Francisco. So, Tim, what yeah. do you think of the space? Well, so Mike talked about the valuation. So it's at roughly 15 and a half times. Five-year average is about 15. So near trough valuation for a company that I think is largely executing. If you think of their guide in the first quarter, they guided for uh, about 8% growth, uh, FX neutral 7%. And I think they have a better mix than, than possibly uh, Expedia, especially when you consider that they have uh, less exposure, I would say, to Europe. I, I like bookings here. I, I think the stock is a steady performance former, even if it's not exciting. Are you going to go cruise lines? No, no, but, well, really? I, I, but I'm going to go a, di- a different <laughs> derivative on this. I'm going to go Marriott. Marriott okay. came out with a, with a news headline April 29th that said that they're going to rent out homes. So not only hotels, and you're going to be able to pay with points. So either Vacation Club International or Marriott International. Both of them have performed well. I'd go M-A-R. Homes. 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 It's the no, same there's thing. no L in Holmes. Homes. No, I, I understand that. Did I pronounce it? Unless it's Sherlock, homes. in which case they're. <laughs> no, they are renting out Holmes. Holmes. <laughs> right. For Sup, Washington's Holmes. action, check out the full show Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Final trade up next. <laughs> Final trade time, Pete. Keep an eye on the airlines. I think they're flying higher. Go with Delta. Giddy up. Tim. Plenty of convo on U.S. Steel, so I stay long. Iron ore prices are pushing steel prices higher again. Steve Grasso. It was a downgrade McDonald's. They couldn't beat up this one up. It was in the 190s, low 190s. This thing's going to 210 by McDonald's. Nice. It was a fun show tonight. Fun a little fun. tomfoolery, but good information. And I'm setting myself up for a huge fall. But Wynn Resorts into their earnings release post-close tomorrow. That does it for us. See you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast Money. Meantime, Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now.